tonight. Warning. Before you can warn them, you got to get a look on your face. How many of you are a destroyer of the works of the devil? How many of you are a soldier of the army of God? Get that look right now, like that lion look. And then look at him and say, I'm excited now, but I'm going to get a lot worse. So if you need to change seats, go ahead. But this right here is going to be a glory zone. It's going to be a shouting zone right here. It might even be a dancing zone. We don't know. But I reserve the right to break out in Jesus' name. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout. 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 Oh, yeah. You're all right. This is legal right here. Hallelujah. It's just going to get awesome tonight. I want you to be seated. I want to thank you for singing so powerfully tonight. I'm going to make a comment on worship. I'm going to break my own rules here. Uh, these are. This is not the sermon. These are introductory remarks. So I'm going to break the rule. Sometimes worship gets abused. People get high on worship. Instead of worshiping Christ, they're worshiping worship. And one of the things they do is they begin to use worship as an excuse never to go out and win souls. Because, you know, we're in the inner court. We're the bride. We're in here with Jesus. And imagine if you had a, you were at the home of a couple that just found out their child had been kidnapped. There's a pile of posters to give out with his face on it. There, there's a search that needs to go on to get that child. But instead of leaving to go find their child, you're telling them how wonderful they are. You're such a wonderful set of parents. This never should have happened to you. This is terrible. I just want to stay here. And the parent will look at you. I don't want you to stay here. I want you to go and get my child. And I want you to bring him back. One day I went to a seminar in a church that worshiped worship. They were a worshiping worship, worship, worship. And their singing after a while gets hollow. Because it's being done in disobedience. And so I began to say, how many of you want to glorify God? Boy, they all jumped up. How many of you want to glorify God? And they waved their hands at me. That's why I love being at Victory Outreach tonight. I can get away with saying all this. I'm not going to hurt anybody or scare anybody. And so they had worship, worship all day long. It was a worship, worship workshop. And they were all in the inner court. I said, how many of you want to glorify God? Oh, man, they went wild, started waving things. And I said, here's what Jesus said. Herein is my Father glorified, that you go forth and you bear much fruit. In heaven, we're going to have time to sing. In heaven, we're going to have time to worship God. But we are here to win the lost. Help me, somebody. We're here to take the word to somebody. Nobody's exempt from that. How many of you love winning souls? Oh, I'm a soul winner. 
You know, I believe that if you are the bellhop carrying my luggage to the my hotel room, that's your problem. You end up in the seat next to me on a plane, that's your problem. But you're going to find out that Jesus is the Son of God. Hallelujah. How many of you are soul winners? Raise your hand right now. Are you? I'm going to tell you a story of one of the most heartbreaking nights of my life. Truly, one of the most heartbreaking nights of my life. Sometimes people use the term pathetic creature. They talk about a human being that is such a serious case, such a pathetic case that they, they call it a, a pathetic creature. Let me tell you something. I met that person. And they had brought them to one of my meetings to be healed by the power of God. Only problem is, this individual was so far gone that they didn't believe they could be healed. And they didn't even really believe in, in Christ. But they were there, and they put them on the front row. Now, I'm going to leave that story hanging there and introduce you to another one about me. Everybody listen. I only ever began praying for the sick because I saw in the Bible that it won souls. That's it. I want to offer living proof. Living proof, you know, and to get the name of these crusades that we're going to do across the country. And we're so honored to have Josie Pineda on our staff. And listen, listen, you clap real loud for this woman of God right here. Yes, yes. Because she hasn't left Victory Outreach. We're going we're gonna to come alongside of Victory Outreach. I want to partner with Victory Outreach to see thousands healed, thousands healed by the power of God. I want the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. Resurrection power. But I only ever began to pray for the sick. Listen to me. Wasn't for money wasn't for glamour, wasn't for crowds. But I read in the Word that when the man got up in front of the gate, beautiful, as many people were saved that day as were saved on the day of Pentecost. When Lazarus rose from the dead, the Bible says many believed on Christ. When I read the story of Tabitha being raised from the dead, the Bible says many in that region Turn to the Lord because of her testimony. I began to cry out to God. I want to see miracles. And let me tell you, the day came when I began to see the sick healed. Oh, I tell you, what a glorious day that was. When I began to preach in meetings and the Lord began to heal the sick. And I went for a long, long time like that. Until one day in Seattle, the Lord changed my life. And I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a gift. It's going to be an early Christmas present for all of you. Because everyone in this room is going to have at least one gift and more than likely two gifts. First, some of you are going to be healed by the power of God in this room. Those of you that are sick, you're going to be healed. How many of you are excited about that? The Lord is going to heal. 
But the other gift that God's going to give you is for you to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Put your hands in the air for a second. Say, these are healing hands. These are miracle hands. They're not my hands. They belong to Christ. And Jesus is going to heal through these hands. If you believe that, clap real loud. Do you believe that? Hallelujah. A young man named Jeff Foster was a contractor in Seattle. And he owned, like every other contractor, a pickup truck. And every day he drove home from the building site. He was building houses. He was on his way home in Seattle, and he would come to a T. The road would end, and he'd have to turn either right or left. At the bottom of that T was a house with a porch. On that porch was a young woman in a wheelchair that also doubled as a bed. It was a kind of wheelchair that was padded. It could totally recline and become a bed. And that's where she lived, was in that chair and in that bed. And her life consisted of hoping that there would be a sunny sunset and she'd be wheeled out on that porch. And by design, God had it to where Jeff would end up at that tee just as she was sitting there hoping to catch a sunset in rainy Seattle. The Lord began to deal with Jeff. That's what I'm hoping tonight that God will heal every spectator in this room. That everyone that is a spectator and watching God use someone else will start to listen to the voice of God to be used themselves. There is no greater thrill in this world than to be used of God. And Jeff began to hear the strangest voice. It was bold and insistent, and it wouldn't leave him alone. Sell your pickup. I mean, you know, that's a huge deal to say to some man, sell your pickup truck. And he said, get a van with a lift that will lift a large wheelchair into your van, trade it in and do it. And then go up on that porch, talk to that nurse, get permission to ask this young lady to go to church with you. Her name was Barbara. Barbara was a Buddhist. And Barbara, up on that porch, had no knowledge of God. What she remembered was how her life was changed in an instant. You see, she was a real estate agent. And she was writing up offers one day in her little Volkswagen bug when it was hit by a Dodge Duster being driven by a drunk who absolutely destroyed her life. From her neck down, she was paralyzed. She had developed not only paralysis, but cerebral multiple sclerosis, meaning that after all her bones broke, that her nerves went into deterioration. She could feel nothing from the neck down and hadn't felt anything in 11 years. The leading orthopedic surgeon of Seattle was also a Buddhist and her doctor. And he had told Barbara to use Buddhism as a means of coping with her life. 
The best religion in the world is trash without Christ. Somebody help me right now. It doesn't help. How many of you know only Christ helps? So his goal was to bring her to Christ. Can I talk to her? Nurse said, well, that's up to her. What's her name? Barbara. Barbara, my name is Jeff. I want to take you to church. She said, I'm a Buddhist. He said, you need to come to my church. You just need, how many of you believe in asking people to come to your church? You need to come to my church. He said, I don't want, I don't feel comfortable in that atmosphere. Then he told her that it was a spirit-filled church. He said, oh no, I don't, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be any part of that. And she said, I won't. And then he got bold. He said, Barbara, you got nothing else to do. And you know the difference? And if I don't get an amen on this, I'm going to feel like a failure. You know, after every meeting, I call my mama on the phone. She's, uh, she's my mom, Christina. You know, I call her because she goes, she wants to know what God does in the meetings, right? So she'll, I'll call her. She'll go, mijo, did they amen you in church tonight? Now, you may not want to amen me, but I know you don't want to break my little mama's heart. No, I mean, you know, that is the most guilt ever used in this pulpit right here. She didn't have anything else to do because she was in a wheelchair, paralyzed. But when you're lost, you only think you have something else to do. You really don't. Well, I'm going to give an altar call right now. The only difference between a lost soul and Barbara is that Barbara knew she had nothing else to do. So she consented. Then became the ritual. Sunday morning, Wednesday evening. Sunday morning, Wednesday evening. One day, Jeff showed up unexpectedly on a Friday night. Said, we have an evangelist from the San Francisco Bay Area who's coming to our church. And I want you to be there tonight because I believe that you need to see a miracle. So they brought her. And then I saw her. My heart sank. Because when I looked at her, I saw what the world would call a pathetic creature. An individual that most would say it would be mercy if she just died. I saw her struggling to enjoy the meeting. I saw her struggling to figure out what she should do. You know, I'm going to tell you the greatest heartache of my life. I'm going to preach a little bit tonight is watching people struggle to believe that God can heal their body. It kills me. It haunts me. Many, many times in our meetings, my staff, after a healing service, will go out, they'll all rejoice. They'll ring with praise over the people that walked and the people that were healed. But I'm haunted by the ones who came in a wheelchair, went home in a wheelchair. And I thought, that day, they were filled with expectation. Does anyone understand how tedious and demanding it is to get some of these folks into a healing service? And for them to take the same cancer-ridden, pain-wracked body, turn around, put it back in the, 
in the chair or back, it kills me. And I had to know the answer. I had to understand it. You see, what I want to give you tonight is the gift to understand what to do when God starts moving in a room. And what can I do to let God heal my body? Does anyone want to be healed tonight? No, I'm going to ask you again. Do you want to be healed tonight? Do you? Then you hear me. I watched her struggle. And before I tell you what happened next, I want to read a verse from Hebrews 11, verse 6. There's something we're doing wrong in healing services. There's something that we're doing that is doing more harm than good. And we need to fix it and stop doing this. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Look me in the eye right now. Never forget this. You must learn two amazing facts. Number one, you cannot please God without faith. That is a fact. You cannot please God without faith. Whenever I hear a person say, Lord, if only you would show me that you were real, you don't understand that that is completely backwards because it's heaven that is saying, if only you would show me that you were real. You cannot please God without faith. Second, He rewards those who seek Him the right way. He rewards those who seek Him the right way. But here's what I'm going to tell you. We are cursed in meetings with human belief and divine faith. You know, sometimes we speak Christianese. And some of you that first met the Lord, remember all the funny words we use. Anointing, sanctification. One of them that we use a lot is impartation, which seems like an overblown word. Why don't you just say something like an, another word? But what does impartation mean? Preachers even say it mystically. They get that preacher voice. Impartation. But I'm going to tell you tonight about impartation. It's when God gives you something that you can't get from anybody but God. Look at me. And it's when he puts it in you. When he puts it in. You know that many of you in this room have already experienced the greatest healing that God has to offer. For, for you, it'll be nothing to get rid of your cancer. It'll be nothing for you to get rid of your diabetes. It'll be nothing for you to build on this miracle. And I mentioned it last night, but I have to mention it again. You tried to get off drugs. You tried to change. You, you read the books, did the therapy, went to the seminar, got the government funding, did all of that. But one day, you cried out to God and said, help me. And you know what? He helped you. No, no he helped you. Uh, everybody that God helped, make a noise right now. Did he help you? When you cried out, he helped you. I remember being with Pastor Sonny when he said, I left Teen Challenge 
17 times before I finally got free. I mean, you know, that's strangely encouraging, isn't it? But God helped you. And this is what the Bible says right here. You cannot come to God without faith. But on the same token, He is the rewarder of them that seek Him the right way. And here's what it begins. God, I'm helpless before you. God, I'm helpless before you. God, I'm helpless before you. I can't do a thing without you. Somebody help me. Is that right? I'm coming to you, Jesus, knowing that I cannot do anything for myself. I saw Barbara struggling. Half hour into the meeting, every once in a while I would gaze down at her. Say, Mara, were you intimidated by having such an extreme case of disease right in the front row? No, I'm not, because I don't believe I can heal. I've never once believed that I could heal. I've never even felt it was my responsibility to heal. My job is to stay in my lane and say and do what the Lord tells me to do. The rest is His responsibility. So I looked over at her, and this is a fact. She started laughing. What in the world would possess somebody paralyzed from the neck down to start laughing? But it was a great laugh. Always a glorious laugh. It was shocking. And the image of her laughing was like this paradox. But later on, she was to say this to us. I heard a man laugh with a deep, rich, baritone voice. He began to laugh. And this laugh was so deep and so contagious that I couldn't help myself. I began laughing along with this laugh I heard, but there was no man standing there. There was no man in that room laughing. She didn't see anybody, but she had heard this man laughing. Ten minutes goes by, and a miracle is going on inside of her, a work, a work. You see, what you've got to learn from me tonight, I want to give you this. I'm not just a speaker. An anointed vessel of God doesn't just talk. A man or a woman under the anointing doesn't give up and just talk. They're scattering seed. I'm throwing it over here. I'm throwing it over there. I'm throwing it there. I'm throwing it here. It is a seed not only to be saved, but to be healed. And it's when you admit, I am helpless, but I'm feeling God putting something in me right now. I'm getting an impartation. Hallelujah. I gotta, I'm sorry. I got to. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The process was taking place. The miracle was unfolding. Ten minutes goes by, she said to us later, when the voice that was laughing said, Barbara, come over here. And without my permission, she throws her blanket back with her new arm, sits up, gets off that bed, and walks straight across the front of the building. Somebody better shout right now. Somebody better shout right now. Oh, you know what? Like the song goes, 
I'm going to shout a little bit louder than before. I'm going to praise a little bit louder than before. It was so astounding. She began to move around, walking back and forth. How many of you would not be shocked to discover that she never got back in that chair again? She never got near that chair ever again. Well, we got her in the office after everyone was into the wee hours. We were rejoicing and rejoicing. Jeff is rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. Barbara's rejoicing. And she's not a Buddhist anymore. Oh, somebody help me right now. Said, I've got my surgeon's home number. I want to call him. It's 11 o'clock at night. Said, I don't care. I'm going to wake him up. She called him up. Doc, it's Barbara. Barbara, what are you calling me? Are you having an episode? What's wrong? Said, I had an episode. Said, I can walk. He said, no, you can't. Said, I, Doc, I can walk. Said, no, I, no, you can't. I'm your doctor. I know you can't walk. Said, yes, I can. I'm walking right now. I'm walking around while I'm holding this receiver in, this, my, in my ear. I'm walking. I can walk. He said, no, you can't. I've operated on you several times. You don't have a live nerve in your spine. She said, I'm coming to your office tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. He said, okay, that's a deal. He said, but you cannot walk. I don't know what you're doing right now. You can't walk. And he said, matter of fact, if I see you so much as take one step on your own power, I'm going to renounce Buddha and serve Jesus Christ myself. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody give God the glory. Well, the next morning, there's Barbara. Oh, how many of you feel like dancing right now? She got up on her feet, and I'm telling you, she was spinning around that office, and he takes off his glasses. He begins weeping, and she says, you said, said, now you said that? This is what you're going to say now, Doc. Jesus, I am a sinner, and you are the Son of God. How many of you love that prayer? How many of you remember praying that prayer? And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of all my sin, and I know you now to be the only true Son of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Barbara began a ministry of taking her ponderous equipment into a church on a Wednesday night. She had her home church, but on Wednesday night she'd go all over Seattle and break up church meetings by pushing in her wheelchair, say, Pastor, give me seven minutes to just tell you that I was in that chair for 11 years, that I couldn't move my arms or my legs or anything, but I am healed by the power of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I remember bringing her on the 700 Club with Pat Robertson, and it was the first time that he was ever speechless. 
He looked at her and he did not know what to say. And of course, you know the end of the story. Jeff and Barbara got married. <laughs> that man thought he was helping a soul. He was going up there to get his wife, helping somebody. Woo! I mean, you know, that's a good wedding anniversary testimony right there. wants to help you get your miracle. We are wrong to tell people just believe. Just have faith. You see, I'm going to skip a verse that I had given to our folks for the Blessatron and I'm going to go to Hebrews 12 too directly. Looking to Jesus. Close your eyes. Look at him. Close your eyes. Look at him. The author and finisher of faith. The author and finisher of faith. Say it with me. The author, the finisher of faith. Say faith begins and ends with you. I get it from you. It comes from you. Everything I need, it comes from you. The purpose of God, look at me. The purpose of God, look at me, is to elevate and transform your human belief into miracle faith. In a meeting, sometime I'll look at a person and I'll know that God wants to heal them. I'll know. First of all, it's like in the movies. Sometimes you'll see an image just come right up close. Somebody will be in the back of the room. It may be thousands. It may be just a few hundred. But their face will come close to me. And I'll know that God has started the process. That they've said, yes, I can't depend on my own ability to believe. I can't go by. The devil can use the fact that I might have sin in my life. I might this. I don't deserve it. And people will sit there and struggle and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. It's like believing that if you push a car down the hill, the engine's going to start. Faith is ignited from within by God himself. It comes from him. It starts with him. And the Holy Spirit hovers over people. The woman with the issue of blood had trouble believing. That's why she hid from Christ. She was so shy that she hid from him. She didn't want anyone to know, not even Jesus, because she didn't believe. But the more she was around him, the more she began to change. And her human belief turned into divine faith. And suddenly, what was not from her but from God motivated her. And she reached out and touched the hem of his garment and was healed instantly. I want to read this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. Oh, if we could get this. There's nothing about tonight that is special except that he is in the room. Nothing. You know, I know that you're a notable person. 
I know that you're famous, well-educated, and wealthy beyond your wildest imagination. But it is not significant that you are here. It's not significant that I'm here. This building is not significant. Nothing about this event is significant until you realize that he is in this room and he's working. Look at me. Everything about Christ is help. Jesus said, you know, when I'm gone to my father, I'm not going to stop helping you. I'm not going to stop carrying you. I'm not going to stop caring about you and imparting to you. Matter of fact, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to take the help to a whole new level. I'm going to try it again. He's going to take the help to a whole new level. Give God the glory. Go to Mark chapter 9, verse 22. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot imagine in this world a greater horror than to be the parent and have a young child who is possessed of a devil, controlled by a demon. And in verse 22, this man is telling his heart-wrenching story to Christ. The demon has thrown him into the fire, tried to burn him alive. A demon inside of a young boy that caused that boy to want to run into flames or throw himself into the water and drown himself. But if you can do anything, he says to Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Look at me right now. How many healing services have you been to where the evangelist is almost rebuking the audience, speaking of their responsibility to believe and have faith, putting guilt on them that they're supposed to work up some doubtless, inescapable, perfect mental state. It takes the holiest of things that God does, faith, out of the heart, and puts it in the cold corridors of the mind. The Bible says, if you can help us, then Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And for the moment, it seems that Christ is joining into the chorus of those that put guilt on people. But he's stating a fact, and here's what's important. The revelation of who Jesus was got in this man. Listen to me. When you get around Christ, you start knowing things and you don't know why you know them. You start realizing things and you don't know why you realize them. And the man realized, I know who you are now. You're not just a healer. You are the author and finisher of faith. You can take this human frailty and give me faith and put something in me that will help me believe that my son can be delivered of this devil right now. Immediately the father of the child cried out out of the revelation of who Christ was. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
Oh, somebody get ready for the biggest amen of the night. God wants to help you to go out of your belief into divine faith. Woo! When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Let me read this to you. This man rightly saw that without the help of Jesus, he cannot have faith that brings a miracle. He admitted that he was operating on human belief. Miracle faith is not in the mind, it's in the heart. I believe it is easier to come to Christ and to ask him for the impartation of faith than it is to try to work up and generate our own. Anybody hear what I just said? This is why our meetings don't have people healed. This is why we have events that have no power. Because we hope that in volume and in noise and intensity and in human effort that God will bring the miraculous. But when you humble yourself before God and you say, Lord, we turn this meeting over to you. And we put Christ in charge of this event. And we put the Holy Spirit in his place. Hallelujah. Unless we look at statements in the Bible to know the backstory, we're in danger of misunderstanding them. For example, the Bible shows instances where Christ looked at a person and said, great is your faith. And th this is where preachers in a certain school of thought will argue with me. Jesus said it was their faith that made them whole. It was their faith that healed them. The question is not, when you look at Samson who ran around tearing down buildings, you would look at him and say Samson was strong. But the question is, where did that strength come from? Jesus also looked at the disciples in John 20. This is a powerful verse. Let's look at it real quick. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? They said, no. And he said to them, throw the net on the other side and you'll find some. So they cast it out. They were not able to draw it because of the multitude of fish. Look at verse 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. He had risen from the dead. Now Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But he and the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land dragging the net with fish. As soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire with coals there and had fish laid on it. And Jesus said to them, bring the fish which you have just caught. Now look at me and tell me, who caught those fish? No, no, answer my question. Who caught those fish? But he said, you caught them. So even when he says to someone, great is your faith, I don't have a doubt that that's true. But I want to ask you, where did the faith that they have come from? 
Stop struggling. Stop fighting. Brother AJ, would you come up to the platform for a second? Start connecting to Jesus right now. your hands right now. All things are possible. Did you feel the Holy Spirit just surge in this place? Pray in the language of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to give God the glory. The Bible talks about ten lepers. What people don't know when they read that, what they don't notice, I should say, they do know, but they might not notice it, is that nine of them that didn't come back to thank Jesus for cleansing their leprosy were Jewish. And only one was a Gentile. And the only one who came back was the Gentile. And he, he said, didn't anyone from Israel come back to thank God for their cleansing? And it was a tragic thing. And what that points out is nothing intended to be anti-Semitic. But sometimes when a people have been blessed, they become entitled and overfamiliar with God. It's happening to America. You see, the American church is asleep. And we're letting our rights, our freedoms, go down the window, go down the tubes. We're allowing ourselves to be victimized unnecessarily. I realize that the Bay Area is a bastion for secular progressive ideology. I get that. That's why I believe the answer is a powerful message confirmed with signs, wonders, and miracles. You know, how many of you know there's no argument against the miracle? We realize that over there in the west side of the bay, Palo Alto, Menlo Park, Atherton, Mountain View, their billionaires live over there. Yeah, they do. But if one of their children gets leukemia, or they might go to Stanford and get the best treatment. But a lot of people were shocked when Bill Walsh died. They thought if ever a man had all the money in the world and all of the connections and all the affection, but it didn't stop that disease. You tell me how the argument, how the script is flipped if a billionaire's daughter with leukemia is suddenly healed by the power of God. It saves a thousand sermons. See, God's going to give us favor in the Bay Area, not by argumentation, not by political persuasion, but He's going to give us favor by surrendering to His plan. And He's going to give us a strategy. You know, and, and I'm going to tell you something. 
you need to give God the glory for your healing tonight. Let everyone who was healed tonight, either by a word of knowledge or by laying on of hand, stand right now and give God the glory for your healing. Wherever you are, stand and give God. Look at all these miracles. Look at all these healings. be the glory you may be seated I'm about to give an appeal for souls but I want all of you to listen about tomorrow night before I give an appeal for souls we heard from Teresa from Clear Lake see some of you will look at me and say this story about Barbara Foster was well, you could have made that up. Or that story that you told us about little Paul Perez from Sutherland, California, you could have made that up. But tomorrow night, right here on this platform, is going to be an even greater healing than those two, in my mind. Because the woman that's going to testify tomorrow night was moments away from death when the Lord healed her. I maybe heard what I just said. And when you hear her story, we need to fill this church with skeptics. Get your local atheist. Bring your, invite your doctor. Invite any skeptic you want. When we advertised living proof, we weren't kidding. But Teresa Stacy and her husband Jim are driving all the way from Clear Lake tomorrow to give their story right on this platform. And it's going to be earth-shaking. Glory to God. Glory to God. To God be the glory. How many, you know, we need the godless attorneys here. We need the college professors here. We need the millennials here. Get these young people in this room. They hear so much against Christ. How many of you know we're going to have a miracle testimony it's going to be an unbelievable night. Now, there was nothing more intense than the conversion of St. Matthew. I put it up there with Saul of Tarsus. We didn't hear about a light. We didn't hear about him being thrown off a horse. But his miracle was so amazing that every time I read about it, sometimes the, the shortest sentences in the Bible are, are the most explosive. The disciples must have wondered when they turned around and saw him heading to that desk after Peter and the other fishermen had turned to Christ to follow him, he went after a tax collector. I understand the, the evangelist that was here last before me did a phenomenal job telling this story about Matthew's conversion. But the side of it that I want to share with you is this. What were the disciples thinking when he headed toward that man? How's he going to win an IRS agent? <laughs> 
was taking money from his own people and giving it to the Romans. Hardened. And they wondered, what would he say? What would he say? Like right now, I want you to meet Christ. What am I going to say? He walked up, and they were stunned because all he said was, follow me. Follow me. <laughs> follow me. And the Bible says that Matthew immediately got up and followed him. That's power right there. You see, I teach on preaching. I'll take young students and I'll tell them, learn how to let God use you in an altar call. Too many pastors do not know how to give an altar call, so they're afraid to give one. And the devil will take this one lie. What if nobody comes forward? Some of my most powerful meetings have been nights when no one came forward and I asked them to come to Christ and nobody came. Because then I made it an illustrated sermon. Now we know what's wrong with us. There wasn't even a lost soul in this room. We can never waste a meeting. See, I, I use it as a weapon. I don't let the devil ever have an edge in any meeting. Never. And you know what? When you get over your fear, pastor, of giving an altar call, you're going to become lethal. You'll become addicted. Oh, I got to the point I was so addicted, I was giving altar calls in pastor's breakfast. And I got some of them saved. Close your eyes. Two things that Satan will use on you right now to keep you from raising your hand. Two things that Satan will say to you so that you won't raise your hand when you should. Number one, you can't change. You don't know how to change. When Christ said to Matthew, follow me, he was telling him, it's going to be one step at a time, one day at a time. You follow me. And if all you do is keep your eyes on me, you'll never not know what to do. You'll never lack the power to do it. And you'll never fail. The question of how do you go from what you're in now into the new life of Christ is answered by the term, follow me. All you have to think about is this. If I just raise my hand, if I just raise my hand, I'm following Christ. If after I raise my hand, I stand up, I'm following Christ. And if after I raise my hand and I stand up and I walk to the front, I'm following Christ. And when I pray that prayer with the man of God and repeat those words that change everything, all I'm doing is following Christ. And you'll step by step, you'll walk out of drugs, you'll walk out of suicide, you'll walk out of fear, you'll walk into reason and knowledge and every day you'll grow. And when the disciples stirred and stunned and overwhelmed by the simplicity of Christ looking at a hardened, rock-hard, dead tax collector become a man of God, he followed him. 
All right, get ready. Mario, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. If I died tonight, I don't know where I would be. I know that right now, Christ is still a distant concept to me. He's not, a, he's not real. So what do you want? I want to follow him. All right, raise your hand right now. I want to follow him. I want to have a new life. Put your hand in the air if that's you. Say no to the devil and yes to God. Put your hand in the air. Step one. Mar, I don't know how I'm going to change. I don't know how I'm going to get rid of these addictions. You need one step. Put your hand in the air. You're following Christ right now. Step two. Stand to your feet. Get up on your feet right now. Get up on your feet. Get up on your feet. Step two is stand up. You know, you skipped step one. You should have raised your hand and you didn't. So skip it. Just stand up. See, that's another powerful lesson you'll learn. That when you fail, that God will put you back in the race. So if you didn't, if you didn't raise your hand and you should have, skip step one. Go right to step two. Get up on your feet right now. Maybe you invited someone tonight. You need to lean over to them and ask them, would you stand with these brave souls if I stood with you? If I supported you in your decision, would you stand? Ask them to stand right now. Hallelujah. Now, everyone who's on your feet, Christ called all of his disciples out of a crowd, all 12 of them. Even afterwards, Saul of Tarsus was called in front of a crowd. That's the biggest honor that God can give you. You see, God could have saved you by yourself. You could have done this alone in your house. But God is giving you the honor of meeting him in public and confessing him before men. The Bible says, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father. By saving you publicly, God has already given you the fast track to grow in God because you're becoming a Christian publicly and you already know that you know that you know. Now all of you that are standing, find the nearest aisle and march up here right now. March up here right now out of death, out of fear, out of hurt, out of lack into his goodness and mercy. Come on. Give him the glory right now. Oh, can you say hallelujah? In a moment, I'm going to ask Pastor to come up here. He's going to be up here in a few moments. And he's going to give you vital instructions. I talked about this last night. His gift is a powerful gift. And God's going to use it tonight. But where you're standing, all of you look at me. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Put your hand over your heart. They're going to say with their mouth the words that lead to life. Would all of you in the audience say it with them? Out of love for them. Say, Jesus, I'm standing here between life and death. 
between heaven and hell. And you're waiting for me to decide. I'm telling you now, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Come into my heart and I repent of everything I've ever done. Forgive me of all my sin and wash them all away. Let me be born anew with eternal life. I'm following you one step at a time. And you're going to give me everything I need. In Jesus' name, amen. A grand and glorious thing has just happened, ladies and gentlemen. Glory to God. I've got to tell you all standing here, I've never been in a meeting where three nights have gone by this fast. This has gone by like a flash. It's hard to believe that we're already on the last night. Don't miss it. Invite someone. But right now, it is urgent that these people get the help that they need. So would you clap real loud for Pastor Pineda as he comes right now.